Welcome to the Appalachian Baptist Network. We seek to equip, encourage, and engage pastors and church leaders in the Appalachian region. We focus on having conversations on church revitalization in the mountains and beyond. Your hosts are Matthew Jacobs, Brent Snyder, Jacob Gwynn, and Travis Tyler. Hey guys, welcome to a special edition of the Appalachian Baptist Network. We are in Knoxville, Tennessee at Concord Baptist Church. It is November the 19th, 2019 here, and uh, we are at the Tennessee Baptist Convention, which is called The Summit. And I just want to kind of give a couple quick overviews here. We're going to touch on some main things here, but... uh, we really enjoyed the pastor conference, and by we, I mean Jacob Wynn, who's here with me today. You want to say hi? Yeah, it's great to be here. It's always fun to be here at the at the convention and gathering with other Tennessee Baptists and seeing what God is doing across our great state. So let's talk about pastor's conference real quick here because we've actually got two interviews with uh, different TBC members. First of all, let's let's talk about what I really enjoyed the pastor's conference last night. Coach Barnes from the University of Tennessee gave a great testimony, came out, talked about sin and how he was playing church and really wasn't a believer till later. All great stuff. But what was really helpful last night was the focus on pastors and their health emotionally, spiritually, and eventually it got to the point where they even had a discussion about pastors' health mentally. Yeah, so the, the theme was about running the, running the race with endurance. And one of the big topics last night was uh, about intimacy with Christ, uh, about pastors themselves uh, growing and being closer to the Lord, uh, knowing their battles, knowing their struggles, uh, being realistic with themselves. And, and I think one of the encouraging things last night that, that came out was even uh, Dr. Randy Davis, our executive director, speaking about the issue of mental illness and uh, a story personally that cut close to home to him a couple of years ago about a pastor in our state and uh, just wanting to start an initiative to really help pastors as they're walking through to um, to endure uh, for the sake of ministry. And that means also pastoring the soul. That's right. Uh, and there were, it was an encouragement to for pastors to have pastors. I think that it's challenging for pastors. It can be very lonely. And if you're listening to this pastor, this is a Monday morning or a Wednesday, whenever this podcast comes out, and you're really struggling with some things, I think you would agree with me in saying you do, you do need to have friends, and they don't always necessarily have to be part of your church, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think it's true. I mean, every pastor, I think, needs to have um, friends that are close to them. I think friends that are in ministry, friends that are not in ministry, people who, who I think know you, and I think at the same time, those people who... Um, know you well enough to tell you where things are not going right yeah. and to be people who are willing to tell you the truth, even when you don't want to listen to it. And I think that's one of the things Rick Barnes talked about is having truth tellers mm-hmm. in your life. Yeah. And I think that's key. Got to have those. On the other side of that, with truth tellers, Bradley Cooper brought a great message. And not Bradley Cooper from oh, movies no, or anything no, no, like no. that, but Bradley Cooper, the pastor, and yeah. he brought a great word, though, nonetheless. Yeah. He, uh, he said he had a lot of things he wanted to talk about, but apparently he's a depression guy. So let's talk about depression and ministry. You know, he brought out some really interesting things. One of the things that really grabbed me was the fact that he said 50% of surveyed families, the wives said their husband's decision to become a pastor was the most negative decision that impacted their family. And there's another discussion that needs to go with the mental health of a pastor, and that's the health of his wife, spiritually, mentally, emotionally. emotionally. And, uh, you know, pastor's encouragement here, I think, is to love on your wife and love on your children. There was a caution about talking too much about, 
you know, church issues in front of your kids, right? I mean, I don't know how many pastors I've talked to, and they've said, man, I just hope my kids don't grow up hating the church. And that was discussed and talked about. Yeah. Uh, those are conversations when those little ears are not listening, right? Oh, yeah. He also brought a, a kind of a side note that I thought was interesting, talking about envy mm. um, in the ministry, and especially we t- talk about revitalization, and uh, especially if you're, you're in the trenches, and man, you are man, you're discipling people, and man, you are plugging in, and you are really seeking God's face and seeking Him to to do a work in and through the church. And but man, you see another church, and it seems like God's hand is just upon them. Yeah. And I mean, you see just amazing things happening. There's a sense of envy, and uh, and so He really brought a good word talking about really being able to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep for those who weep. Yeah, and uh, how it's it's easy to weep for those who weep, so to say. It's a lot harder to rejoice for your brother when God's doing something in their midst, and and you're struggling. No doubt. And so I think I think that was a good word, not just for as a pastor person, but I think for the whole convention that we we have this tendency to be envious and jealous towards other churches and other people's ministry, and uh, and I think it's a good word just to celebrate with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah, I think it's really easy, too, because, I mean, we just heard a report uh, this morning of a church that baptized 130 people. Yeah, rural, and, rural church in the middle yeah. of, you know, middle of nowhere. And uh, um, like, you know, any churches that we're speaking to here in the, on the Appalachian Baptist Network podcast, rural churches, right? And, and this church baptized 130-plus people. And um, and we're happy for that. Yeah. We're glad to see people come in the kingdom, but then we're like staring at a goose egg on a couple of years of ours, and we're like, what, what, what are we doing different here? You know, one is the, and uh, you know, and and Jesus really warns us about envy too. I mean, it is, it is a bitterness that I think he said in the sermon will rot our bones. Yeah, he said it was a rot to the soul and the bones for sure. The the parable of the prodigal son. Yeah. You know, we always want to think that oh, the main character is the prodigal son, or it's the prodigal father who's lavish in his love, and the way that he gives. But remember. There at the end. The other son, yeah. You know, there's turbulence in that text, mm-hmm. right? Because you've got three parables in a row. You've got, you know, the widow loses something, she finds it rejoicing. Yeah. The sheep is lost, mm-hmm. it's found rejoicing. The son is lost, he's found, somebody's mad. Yeah. Somebody is ticked off. And let's be honest, other pastors, we ha- can have that elder brother attitude about other churches and pastors, and that's not going to please the Lord. That's no. not going to be pleasing to God. I mean, is God going to bless us if we have that rot? Because God knows if it's there. Oh, yeah, he does. You may be, high, be able to hide it from your other pastor friends, but not from the Lord. Okay, we're going to shift gears here. We're going to talk about the five objectives in Tennessee Baptist Convention. These are laid out by Randy Davis. Um, you've got that in front of you, Jacob. Right? Yeah, so our our state convention has had a, a vision known as the, the five objectives, and that really is kind of the guiding force behind everything we do when we talk about trying to uh, to win our state for Christ. And so the first objective is is trying to see annually 50,000 people coming to know Christ, being saved, baptized, and set on a road to discipleship. You know, right now I think we're, we're only hitting maybe about 24,000 or 25,000 across the state. And so it's a, a big goal to hit 50,000 annually every year. The second goal, and this is one that, that I think applies to us specifically on a podcast, is is about having at least 500 churches in the state of Tennessee that are that are being revitalized, mm-hmm. and uh, and we'll have uh, Kevin Minchie uh, speak to that here here in a moment of an interview we did, 
But the third one is having a, a thousand new churches planted within the state of Tennessee by 2024. Our fourth one is about seeing churches come to a point of being able to increase their cooperative program giving to at least 10%, knowing, knowing that that idea that uh, a rising tide floats all ships. And then that fifth one is about seeing the golden offering increase and the uh, to $3 million by 2024. That golden offering is just like we have Lottie Moon for international missions, and we've got Annie Armstrong for uh, for the North American Mission Board. Uh, our golden offering is, is right here in the state of Tennessee that goes towards a lot of different things from compassion ministries to Baptist student ministries and just a whole host of different stuff. While we're on this topic, our good friend Jonathan's running around here somewhere from our uh, BCM. So, yeah, so we'll give a shout-out to Jonathan Chapman there at uh, ETSU BCM, working hard for sure. I wasn't 100% clear until Jonathan explained some things about funding. I know you're on the board there at the BCM. A lot of our listeners that may be lay people may not know that just because we're having record years in giving for the Tennessee Baptist Convention, I think they said this was a record giving yeah. year, that that does not mean everything at our Baptist Collegiate Ministry is funded. Yeah, correct. And I, I think, you know, obviously sitting on, on the board there, I have a little bit more privilege to, to know what's going on. But but it's one of those things that, uh, you know, we're, we're thankful for the golden offering. We're thankful that churches are, are giving sacrificially. But that money... You know, specifically goes towards operational costs and things like that within, especially for Baptist Collegiate Ministries. And so, so even our, our local uh, college, ETSU, and our, our BCM on campus, I mean, we, we have some great resources through CP that, that allowed Jonathan to, to work and to train and, and able to allow that building to stay open. But when it comes to day-to-day ministry, that, that rests solely on the shoulders of local churches and local associations. So to be clear, keeping the building open, keeping the parking lot paid, keeping the lights on, paying Jonathan's salary, all covered by the TBC, but ministry dollars. Yeah. So dollars to actually put Bibles in hands. Yeah, so or yeah, to, ministry dollars to do, for students to be disciples, students to go on mission trips, students to go on retreats. Students, you know, one of their big ministries is every single week going on campus, handing out coffee, handing out Pop-Tarts, and sharing the gospel with other college students. Yeah. Those day-to-day activities are, are supported by local churches and associations. So, you know, if you love the work of the BCM, I would encourage you, you can reach out to me or reach out to uh, their, them there at etsubcm.org and, and find a way to, to give and support them. Yeah, if you're looking for a way to connect with them and you're looking for some kind of a, a mission and ministry that's going to make a great impact, Jonathan's doing a great job. So we would encourage you to, to consider giving to help support that ministry. All right, we need to shift gears. Uh, yeah, so part of those five objectives is uh, is about revitalization. And, yes. I, and I briefly mentioned this, but we, we had the opportunity while we we're here to, to meet Kevin Minching, who is our, our state rep here at the Tennessee Baptist Convention. And, uh, and he is the church revitalization strategist or, or specialist. And, and so we had the opportunity to sit down and talk with him and interview him. And so we actually want to play a little bit of that interview about what is happening in the state of Tennessee with, in regards to church revitalization. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and play that. There might be a little background noise, but hey, that's what makes the podcast authentic. So I hope you enjoy. We are at the Tennessee Baptist Convention here. It is November, what is today, the 21st? Today is the 19th. Sorry, 19th. I'm living in the future. And uh, I'm here with Kevin. What's yeah, your name that's it. 
Minchie. Minchie. All right. I didn't want to mess that up, especially with it being first Thank time. Thank you. Are. <laughs> yeah. Kevin, you are uh, our church revitalization specialist here at the Tennessee Baptist Convention, and I was just talking to you about a revitalization project you had in, was it Shelby, Tennessee? Yeah. Shelbyville. So give us some, give us some background and, and just tell us about it a little bit. Well, the church had been around for a long time, about 175 years, and had just been your typical county seat First Baptist Church in Middle Tennessee. And they had had a explosive growth spurt over the last few years before I got there and uh, got up to about a thousand people, leveled out somewhere around 800. And then they had some doctrinal issues that they had to work through. And uh, in the, re- the, the result of that was uh, out of that 800, there were about 200, 220 people when I got there. Man. Yeah. So when you got there, you know, one of the things we were just talking about is he was just mentioning to me in Revelation, you had to come to understand lukewarm, hot, cold. Yeah. Know. Just talk about that. Just I, yeah, we were talking about, uh, you know, when Jesus uh, was, was issuing that warning to the Laodicean church about uh, if you were hot or cold, but you're lukewarm, so I'll spit you out of my mouth. I never really understood that uh, from a pastoral church context until I got there and I realized that uh, if a church is hot and things are moving, that's great seemed to me like lukewarm was closer to hot than cold, but cold, it was kind of like the people were in cold water and they weren't happy. They wanted to get out of it. You know, mm-hmm. They wanted to move to, to a higher level. They wanted to, uh, they were not happy with people not being saved, with nobody visiting and staying, and, and they were just desperate. So I began to see that cold, uh, it wasn't hot, but it was at least this, we are, desperate for something other than what we have. We've got to get out of this situation. So that kind of helped me to realize that at least you're motivated and willing to move forward at that point. Lukewarm, I began to see is, uh, and we've seen it in churches all over, so, you know, we don't really care. We like it like we have it. Mm-hmm. 50 new people would blow everything up. You know, <laughs> yeah, we yeah, like right. it just like it is. So yeah. this, this, so here's a church saying, hey, if we could have 100, 200 people, that'd be great. Yeah, you know, so. that's right. And sorry about the background noise if you're listening. We are at the TBC, so there's people moving around, having conversations. High-fiving each other, happy to see each other, right? Yeah. So anyway. So, uh, so Kevin, one of the things about the Tennessee Baptist Convention um, is that uh, we have our five objectives, one of which being about seeing 500 churches revitalized. Um, how does that look from a convention standpoint, and, and kind of what, what is the process that you guys do to partner with churches to see revitalization? Okay. Well, right now we're engaged with about 410 churches uh, that we either have, they have experienced revitalization through their own efforts of prayer and work, or we have connected with them to offer some assistance and resources. So uh, a lot of what we do is reactionary. We, we react or we respond to a request for help. We go in. Each situation is unique. As I just shared about the church where I was, it was actually the church split over doctrine. Sometimes mm. it's just they've lost their way. Uh, you know, every church is generational. Uh, a lot of the churches we work with, that generation that is always there to take the hand off has left. Mm. And we try to find out, okay, where did this generation go? It's, it's typically a church where a young person is maybe in their 50s or 60s, so that 20, 30, 40 generation is just gone. And uh, so we may have to help them find, okay, how do we engage that age group since your own children and grandchildren aren't here? You're going to have to give the church to somebody else's kids and grandkids. 
so that's a mindset they have to be able to um, grasp. You know, uh, we we talk about a thousand day journey. We got that from Tom Cheney down in Florida with Renovate. Uh, it does take several years. We were real honest that you can't do it in six weeks. You know, and and a lot of times when they reach out to us. The money's almost gone, or there's no one left to do anything that needs to be done. They're at a crisis point, and they want that six-week or less solution. So sometimes we're kind of the bears of bad news, saying, "Well, you know, if you'll stick with it and help us, you know, we'll help you um, get a plan together." And you asked about the plan. Um, our process is to assess, evaluate, and uh, to prescribe some things to do some. Um, assessment of the pastor because he's the one that's going to have to do it sometimes churches are in between pastors we recommend intentional interims not just interim preachers but intentional interim pastors that will help lay the groundwork for that pastor who will be the revitalizer so it's a different approach depending on the context of the church so let me back up from the question that you asked and since uh um, I know you don't know me very well, we just met, but I did study um, at Southeastern. I had my D-Men in church revitalization. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to ask you a question that's pretty much impossible to answer, but I'll tell you that on the front end. Uh, how are we, we going to define church revitalization, and what are we looking for? Is Maybe maybe it might be better to say, what are some positive signs that we can say at least the ship is turning that way? Because I feel like after reading all this and the research I did, it's a little bit of a moving target. You know, mm-hmm. what is that? This church is revitalized and this church is not. You know what I mean? So uh, just like to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, like you said, there, it, it would just be my thoughts. We don't have yeah. the answers because we do wrestle with when is a church revitalized. Like I said, we're dealing with 410 churches. Some are revitalized when they say, hey, our, our giving's up, our baptism's up, our numbers are up, attendance mood is good in the church, better and spend a long time, I think we'd say, yeah, that looks like a revitalized church. Uh, One thing that I'm working on right now is just trying to identify what area do do you need revitalization? Because every church needs revitalization in some area Mm -hmm. or else it's the perfect church. And we go around telling everyone there is no perfect church. Well, no, that's not true. I found one in Indiana. Okay. Um, And it was out on this back road. And the building was there, and all the members were buried right next to it. They had reached perfection. A rapture-ready church. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, a rapture-ready church, yeah. So. Well, um, so, you know, we say, what area are you looking to revitalize? Mm-hmm. Some are top to bottom. You know, every system is broken. But I found every church is doing something well. That they, 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 There's still some life there. There's some enthusiasm there. There's somebody praying there. Um, but... We start with, you know, why did you call us? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, again, it takes years to revitalize the church top to bottom. But if mm-hmm. we can find a way to engage, you know, the community where we can see three to five households this year, mm-hmm. that's a step toward revitalization. So, we're, that's again, we're talking about a journey, and some people are not even on the journey. If they're not, in, or if it's a race, they're not in the race. You know, yeah. If it's a journey, they're not even traveling. So uh, the first step is just to get them moving in the right direction, and then to maybe define uh, a preferable future. What would what would your church look like if it were revitalized, and let them kind of coach themselves to the answer? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was um, again. We were talking about the church where I served. We kept hitting this roadblock 
or, or a barrier, as some would say. Uh, we would get over 400 every month, and then it just seemed that there was no real motivation to move past that, to make the adjustments, to go past and stay past that. And so I went back and I looked at 60 years of records, and I did an average, and the average attendance in that church was 365. Mm. And I realized that's their sweet spot. Yeah. That's where they're comfortable. That's where they're happy. That's where their institutional memory is. Of, okay, this this is what we. This is when we feel like us. And the last time they got significantly over four hundred, they split. Mm. So they identified pushing five hundred to services, more classroom, you know, more more classes and more classrooms, and expanding the organization. That's when we got into trouble. But we've never gotten into trouble right here. And, they, and, and no one in the church would say 365. Yeah. But when I first came there, I remember, I remember the search committee, I said, well, you know, as I looked at the sanctuary, about when would you all have to go to two services? They said, well, once, just filling this thing up once would be great. They answered the question without realizing it right then because we seat about 400 yeah. or so, you know, comfortably. Yeah. You can pack a bunch in there. But once you got over 400, you had to do something. So they had been stuck at that for at least 60 years. That's mm -hmm. as good a record. I could have gone back further and probably found that. So, you know, we look and say, okay, well, for them, revitalization was if we could run about 400 people and baptize some folks and, and, you know, do some ministry in the community. I think they felt like they were back where they wanted to be. Now, was that satisfactory for me? No. But for them, 200 to 350, 400, uh, you know, not being able to really pay the bills, to going up to having extra money to do ministry, uh, to give more to missions, they felt revitalized. Mm -hmm. I was never completely satisfied, but again, that was kind of some of the metrics we followed. You know, you bring up something that's uh, that I think every pastor struggles with. Mm -hmm. There is a struggle in revitalization <clears throat> to be content in the Lord with mm -hmm. where He's working and moving but then constantly feeling this pressure of not being satisfied where things are to move forward as a leader. Mm -hmm. uh, what's a good way to balance that, brother? Well, I, you know, I'm not sure the pastor should ever be satisfied. And so I've, I've always given myself a pass on that because we're always supposed to be, you know, at least six months down the road in our mind of, okay, where do we need to go? Because you don't expect the lay people to do that. They're supposed to enjoy what the Lord's doing right now, but we're looking ahead. But at the same time, you know, we can set expectations that are too high, like uh, every month has got to be better than last month. You know, every year's got to be better than last year. There's ebb and flow. You know, the, it's just like every Sunday's not bigger than the last Sunday. If it were, then all our churches would have hundreds of thousands of members. You know, mm -hmm. it's, that's just the reality we live in. So you do have to balance that tension of I'm called by God to to fulfill this church's potential. And where we are and where we need to go, there's always, you know, a, there's always a challenge there. But at the same time, I think you said, I was, someone I was talking to just a few moments ago about celebrating those small victories. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we do have to stop pushing sometimes or stop leading aggressively and just say, okay, let's enjoy the fact that the mm. Lord's given us some fruit. We've had a good year. Uh, the, the church is healthy. There's no terrible conflict that we're dealing with. You know, this is really, uh, you know, a foretaste of heaven. Let's just enjoy it. Yeah. You know, so yeah, but 
I always, I always lean more towards, yeah, but, you know, <laughs> we could do more. That's you know. good. So. Well, listen, brother, any other words of encouragement for those pastors or, or church leaders will be listening to this uh, up in northeast Tennessee, western North Carolina, in the mountains that are, man, they're just in the trenches slugging it out every day, just, just trying to, you know, we, we've seen in the pastor's conference a lot of emphasis on guys that may be struggling with depression or different things like that. Mm-hmm. Any word of encouragement for those pastors, brother? Yeah, well, Second Chronicles fifteen seven says, "But as for you, be strong; do not give up, and your work will be rewarded." Uh, God does reward our faithfulness, and uh, do uh, observe the Sabbath principle. Work six days, give it all you have, and then take one day, disengage your brain, and do something you want to do, and not something you have to do to move the church forward. The church doesn't need a savior. It has Jesus. You don't need to be the savior. Uh, if you take a day off, it's not going to go to hell. It's not going to shut down. Uh, so just, you know, go spend time with your wife and kids. I like that. Or grandkids. That's solid advice there. Jacob, you got anything else on this one? Oh, that's good. Thank you so much. Appreciate it, with man. you guys. Yeah, man. Yeah. Great. Thank you for your time so much, brother. Appreciate Absolutely. It. Okay, that was the interview there that we just had with uh, Kevin. Hope you enjoyed that. Uh, moving on now, we want to talk about the theme of the summit here in 2019. Uh, by all means, right? That has kind of been the overarching theme. By all means, so that more Tennesseans can come to Christ. Uh, well, let's talk about a means that I think is kind of part of the five objectives as well. And I know that some of the Golden State offering goes to fund. And that's the area of Compassion's ministry. And Jacob, I know that uh, this is going to be, if any of your folks from Calvary listen to the podcast, there's going to be a name come up here. They're going to know real well, right? With- yeah, our former former pastor or predecessor, uh, um, Joe Sora, who uh, who faithfully served there for 20 plus years uh, uh, in the state of Tennessee, now is is our compassion ministry um, specialist. So, and uh, does a phenomenal job, you know, connecting churches to people and real needs, and using that as a catalyst to reach people for the gospel. So we did a we had a chance to do a shorter Joe's interview is shorter than Kevin's interview and he made some great points and so we're going to go ahead and play that interview now for you so you can kind of hear uh, what else going on with Compassion Ministries. Hopefully this will be uh, an encouragement to you to be considering how you can do some different Compassion Ministries with the goal of reaching people with the gospel. Yeah. All right. Well, we're joined by a very uh, special guest here today who is no um, stranger to Northeast Tennessee and Carter County, and that is Joe Sora, my former neighbor, and Jacob, your predecessor at Calvary, right? That's right. So, Joe, welcome to Appalachian Baptist Network. Uh, your title there is Compassion's uh, Ministry, right? Yes, I'm the Compassion Ministry Specialist for Tennessee Baptist Solution Board, and as well as a Harvestville team leader. All right, good. So let me ask you this, brother. Tell me about the importance of Compassion Ministry for those pastors and church leaders who are in a revitalization project here in the mountains of Appalachia. Well, I want to begin by just giving a little bit of a definition, really, what is Compassion Ministry, uh, because we often think that it is uh, automatically uh, poverty and things like that. Compassion Ministry for us is when we meet needs, human need, so that we can develop relationships with people, so that we can fully share the gospel, so that we can connect people to a church and acknowledging that they may or may not come to our church, but it's really more about the kingdom of God. But it's through doing these things that we will see our, our churches grow, our churches turn around. See, one of the things that we've got to do in, in revitalization, uh, among all that we've got to do, uh, one of the things we have to do is we have to get our attention from inward focus to outward focus. 
Compassion ministry is one of those things that helps us in, in our churches to focus on needs in our community, needs of lost people. Instead of it being uh, church being about us and what we want, then it helps us in our churches turn the attention outward to say what are the needs out there. So for us, when we think about compassion ministry and we think about meeting needs, one of the questions I would ask is what's the greatest unmet need in your community? Then what is that greatest unmet need? Uh, if somebody else is meeting a need in your community and they're meeting it, hallelujah, great, let them do that. But what has God uniquely called you and your church to do to help meet a need in your community? And so it helps get us looking at our community, and that's part of uh, the whole process of getting our attention turned outward. And we are folks that really believe that Luke 4.18 is a model. It's a model of Jesus where he introduced his ministry, and he talked about that the Spirit of the Lord is on, upon him, to preach the gospel to the poor. So yes, we start with poverty. But he also talks about meeting physical needs, healing folks. He talks about releasing people from captivity. Uh, and depending on the translation, there's a couple of different uh, aspects of that. One of those would be substance abuse. And so churches that would look to see, okay, what can we do to focus on substance abuse, such as uh, Celebrate Recovery or AA. Uh, there's a small church up in Deer Lodge, uh, First Baptist Church Deer Lodge. It runs about uh, 35 to 40. And this church, when I sat down to talk with them, and uh, Pastor wanted to know, what can we do? What can we do to help really reach our community? What can we do to help see turnaround in our church? And I said, well, what's your ungreatest, what's your, uh, the greatest unmet need? And he said, our greatest unmet need here has to do with substance abuse. And so we began to brainstorm, what could that look like? And since that time, he started an AA group and an NA group in this church. And people are coming to it from all over the community. And through that, he's already seen people saved. They're coming into his church. He's seeing their whole attention turn outward. So things like that. Medical. Uh, just talked to a guy yesterday. There's uh, a guy in West Tennessee, uh, Madison Baptist Church in Jackson, Tennessee. They'd gone through years without reaching anybody. Nobody even baptized in their church. Two years ago, they said, uh, we, uh, we need to start doing something, getting in our community. So they had a nurse practitioner, had a couple of nurses. And they said, let's start doing a once-a-month medical clinic. And it was small. They started off small, four hours a, four hours, uh, a month, one Saturday. The very first year, they would average about four to five would come to their medical clinic. But in that first year, they saw five people pray to receive Christ. And that's more than seen in years in their church. Mm. Yesterday, I, uh, yesterday, I visited with the guy, and, uh, and he was telling me about uh, how the, that just this past Saturday was their last medical clinic. He was really excited. He said, we had, we had nine people come. Four of them were new. And he said, but Joe, we had two young men pray to receive Christ. Oh, and so they were really, really excited. And it's just small, but it, 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 it's opening their church's eyes, and it's, it's, uh, they are seeing their community. So what can we do to meet needs? And as we meet needs, it turns us outward. And it also gives uh, new avenues for people to be involved and also gives new avenues for people coming to our church mm -hmm. uh, and be exposed to the church and seeing the church doing good things instead of uh, the focus being upon all the things we're against. And, and you know, we, we make it clear the things we're against. But my goodness, Compassion Ministry allows us to say, but this is what we're for. Mm -hmm. We love you. We care about you. And it sends a whole new message to our community. So as I was listening to you, one of the things I heard, and I think this is a good point to draw out, you got a lot of guys that maybe listen to us in Avery County, Carter County, maybe Johnson County, 
they may be sitting in a church that don't have a lot of funds mm-hmm. to do meet like physical needs, but you mentioned some things. Compassion ministry isn't always about meeting physical needs necessarily, right? I no, mean, no, it's it's more than poverty. And uh, I'll tell you another, for instance, uh, for, uh, First Baptist Church Fairfield Glade, you have two ladies uh, when I was in their church, and they began to, uh, after the service, I talked about compassion ministry meeting needs, and they came up and they said, we want to tell you what we're doing. And this one lady came up and she said, uh, she said, my husband had Alzheimer's. And she said, uh, you know, the, the going through that was so difficult. And she said, so we started having a once-a-month meeting, and we would invite people whose family members uh, were going through memory loss. And she said, we just called it a memory loss group. And they would come together for support. Other folks then would come and they would sit with the people, uh, with their loved ones who were going through the memory loss. And she said, 75% of the people that come to this, and it comes happens every month, 75% of the people that come to that have no connection to the church. And they are dying to have somebody to talk to about what's going on with their family. Another lady says, and then we're, we're, we're doing grief support. And so when people pass away or when, uh, she said, actually, we define grief as more than just death. It's any kind of loss. And she said, so we just advertise in our community. If you've experienced a loss, if, you're lo- if you've lost something, come. And so she, too, said 75% of the people that come to this come. And it's just a time for them to, to get to know people. It's a time for people's hearts to cry out. It's just a matter of being willing to spend the time and caring about people. Those were two great unmet needs in their community, and it's not cost them a penny. Yeah. It's just cost them a little bit of time and opening up the doors. And so in doing this, they're meeting needs. They're seeing new people coming to their church. I just spoke yesterday to their pastor, and he was saying, these ladies are unreal. He said, you wouldn't believe the amount of people that visit our church because they do these ministries. Wow. That's great. Well, that's encouraging because that means that, you know, uh, you have other resources other than money. And yes. you, you can use those to reach people that are hurting and in need because that's really where Jesus touches so many in the gospel, right? And, and so it's a door to get to where they really need, and that's Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Well, Joe, thank you. We're out of time. Appreciate you. Quick thank interview. Thanks. So, and Love you, Joe. Always have. <laughs> thank you, guys. And that was Joe's interview, Joe Sora, who, again, is over Compassion Ministries. With a cooperative Baptist, or excuse me, cooperative Baptist brother. <laughs> whoa, Whoops, whoa, hold swing on. Swing and a miss. Definitely not the cooperative Baptist fellowship. <laughs> Definitely not. With the let's, Tennessee Baptist Convention. Definitely. So. Let's be very clear. The Tennessee Baptist Convention. <laughs> when you lay an egg, just to find it. Yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah, you know, I remember Herschel York always telling us in preaching class, when you lay an egg, boys, just sit back and watch it. Just um, Not on that one. I'm gonna, I was going to correct you quickly. But, but you, know, you know, we think about this convention so far, and... Uh, you know, I guess closing out this uh, this particular podcast, what has just kind of stuck out to you or just struck you um, this year and it just really, I think, resonated with you? I think big takeaways this year, um, we went to a breakout session on um, sustainable discipleship. And I had thought for some time now that there were, you know, there's a lot of different models, a lot of different things and and. Sometimes the needs change, the principles change. And so I think going back to Elizabeth and for me, I wouldn't say that anything was necessarily new information, but these were all excellent reminders. Mm, And in in the one that I had with the the way that he framed the information that we already had on discipleship, you know, he kind of put a four-way quadrant there and talked about relationships versus contents and then experience versus education at the top and bottom. And then just talking about, you know, how you have these different types of 
resources like time, proximity, serendipity, not necessarily planned things that happen, but that God uses, and then curriculum or, you know, doctrine, and then how to, you know, really kind of merge together our evangelism and our discipleship, because let's be quite honest, uh, what is evangelism without discipleship? Yeah, well, I need to think of one of our objectives as a state is to see people coming who are saved, baptized, and set on a road to discipleship. That's right. And so I think, you know, for me, the big takeaway, you know, the theme is obviously about by all means. And so uh, one of the things that's always encouraging about the convention is uh, I usually walk away with that, that fire stoked um, to really think through, especially with it being towards the end of the year in November, it always kind of helps me to reevaluate this past year and think, okay, what, what did we do well? What can we do better? How can we reach more people for the name and the sake of Jesus Christ? Yeah, so I think we had I think we had a lot of really powerful reminders. I think that uh, Dr. Davis has set us on some good objectives to move forward with, and I'm looking forward to the summit next year, which I think is in Middle Tennessee, isn't it? I think we're we're I can't remember. I think yeah, we're in Middle Tennessee next year. Yeah, they move it around. So anyway, well, thank you all for joining us again. Hope you'll join us with our next one and. Uh, Remember there, by all means, here from Tennessee and in Knoxville, so that we may win some to Christ. Thanks for joining us. You have been listening to the Appalachian Baptist Network. Thanks for joining us. If you have a question or comment for our host, please send an email to Network at gmail.com or send us a voice message on our Anchor website page at anchor.fm slash Appalachian dash Baptist dash network. Join us again next Monday.